If you were here last year, you'll remember that I'm kind of obsessed with the holidays. I'm the guy that you will see in July driving around in my car singing along to Christmas music. I love it. I enjoyed Christmas when I was a kid, but I turned into the total ghost of Christmas present the year I left college and was hired as visual merchandiser at four of Lancaster's major stores, Hager's, Apple and Weber, the Men's Shop TMB, and the Biggie, Watt and Shan. Guess I didn't do that good a job because they're all out of business now. What, <laughs> what can I say? This painting of the Lancaster Square and the Watt and Shan building is by local artist Tom Hermansager. You can see windows, lots of windows. Between the four stores, I was designing with a team 40-some windows plus all the interiors. So planning for the holidays began like really early, really, really early. In February, we would head to New York City to see what was new for the holidays. Dumb stuff like, are there new themes? What's the hot color this year? All those things that really, really make worshiping Jesus great. What can I say? We had to order before Easter in order to get the, the stuff finished because we had to be finished decorating, especially the outside with those giant trees. That had to be done by October 15th. We wanted to create joy for the shoppers. Okay, who am I kidding? We wanted to sell stuff, but... <laughs> It sounded good. When I left that job, I was hired as a PR person at a local church, a large church. And along with the worship leader, I was charged with helping plan holiday events. In the 80s, the big thing were cantatas. They were a big deal. New cantatas. It's just fun to say that word. For those of you that may not have heard the word cantata before. They were lengthy musicals that told about Jesus' birth or in the spring, his resurrection. New ones were available to preview as early as June, and they were written for big voices. Some of you that are of a certain age will remember somebody by the name of Sandy Patty. She had a four vocal range, and believe me, these cantatas were not written for most small-town sopranos. But one year, the worship leader and I decided that we were going to write our own. Do you have any idea how long it takes to write an hour and a half musical? The time didn't matter. We wanted those who listened to be filled with the joy of the season. As I began preparing for this message this morning, I did a, some quick math and discovered that nearly 30 years of my adult life have been spent in careers where working and planning on Christmas was a big part of the deal. Was it work? Yeah. Was it fun? You better believe it. I would guess that if you have kids or grandkids, you don't wait until Christmas Eve to begin planning for the holiday. As Santa's helpers, parents make lists. You budget. You listen to the kids to see if they drop any hints about what they might like for Christmas. You budget, of course. You pull the tree out of the box or go to a tree farm. You plan and plan and plan and prepare and prepare, not just for the kids, but for extended family and friends. You want to bring joy to their lives. Planning for Christmas involves time. 
when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time. Christ came. God's timing was perfect. But long before that silent night, long before that star-filled Bethlehem sky, Father God was preparing to bring joy to his kids. Father God was preparing a gift, an unprecedented gift for his children. So I want you to journey back with me to the dawn of creation. God creates a perfect world for his children. You can read all about it in Genesis 1 and 2. And by the way, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one this morning. They're available in the, uh, by the Welcome Center. So before you leave, if you want a Bible, please stop back by. We'd love to give you one this, this morning. And I'm going to be throwing a lot of verses at you this morning. I'm not going to read all of them, but we will have them on the screen and discuss them. So God created this perfect world. He created man and women, woman in his own image. God's kids literally walking and talking with their father in the Garden of Eden. Father God. Now, I'm not a huge fan of zoos, but when I'm at a zoo, it's always fun watching the reaction of kids when they see certain animals for the first time. Pressing their faces against the glass or leaning over the railing, scaring their parents half to death as they try and get as close as possible to the creatures inside. Or at a petting zoo where they're petting the fur of animals and trying to imitate the sounds that those animals make. I believe Father God had a great deal of fun watching and interacting with his kids, Adam and Eve, as they encountered all those new creatures that he had called into existence. Did God laugh as his kids named them one by one, names like Caterpillar, Rhinoceros? Years ago, I watched as one of my nephews unwrapped his Christmas presents. He threw paper here, there, and everywhere. And before long, he threw the toys and began playing with the boxes. And just like a kid discards his or her Christmas toys, Adam and Eve disregarded a perfect world, the good gifts of their Heavenly Father, and they reached for forbidden fruit. Romans 5.12 reminds us this. Through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and thus death spread to all men. All of us born into a fallen world. Think not. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you have children or grandkids? That's a pretty large majority. Now, I have a question for you. How many of you had to teach them how to say no? How about mine? Did you have to teach them how to misbehave? Of course not. We were all born into a fallen world. As misbehaving kids, our first parents, Adam and Eve, had to be disciplined. Sent from the beautiful environment created for them by God. A garden where they walked and talked face to face with God. And by sinning, they exchanged life in Father God's presence for a bleak future that included death. 
But discipline was followed by a promise. As God places judgment on the serpent, God says to the evil one, I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Hope you caught that pronoun he. That he, that future person, was going to defeat the enemy. God was planning for the first Christmas. Hey, gang, you want to talk about spending time and energy planning for the holidays? The good folks at Houston Christian University did some math based on the genealogies. You know, those passages in Chronicles and Leviticals, those beget chapters that we, well, okay, I frequently skip over. Uh, HCU took those genealogies into account. And we find that for at least 6,000 years, and I happen to think long before that, beginning with Adam, there were always plans for the first Christmas. Always plans for the first Christmas. There's a lot of creativity that goes into planning for our Christmas celebrations. It would be really cool to go around the room this morning and discover each of your family's Christmas traditions. Traditions about whether or not to use a live tree or an artificial one. How about the color of the lights? Should they be all white? Should they be blue? Multicolored? Whatever. Some wouldn't dream of not going to grandma's for Christmas Day. Other people stay at home quietly celebrating. Now, I may have told you this story before, but when I served as a youth pastor several years back, uh, I made a point of encouraging, especially the young singles groups, like uh, college and career age groups, I think it's very important that those single adults plan their own traditions. Because believe it or not, holidays can be less than jolly for those who are single and alone. I'm a single person, and I have several ho uh, holidays, traditions that I do. I was telling this story about holiday traditions, and one of my traditions is that on Christmas Eve, I do a drop-in for my family and very close friends. Well, <laughs> this particular year, I was officiating at our Christmas service at the church. It was full house, large church, several hundred people. And I said, hey, if you're not doing anything on Christmas Eve, this is my tradition, stop by. I had over 75 people plus my family stopping in. It was crazy. It was great, uh, but one of my traditions. I've heard of families that prepare scavenger hunts on Christmas Eve, allowing the children to search and find one present prior to going to bed. My family wasn't quite that creative. I just recall begging my mom to give me some kind of a hint as to what might be under the, the family Christmas tree in the morning. While it takes time to create a perfect Christmas experience, it's the creativity that goes into planning that makes each family's holiday unique. Our Heavenly Father didn't exactly have a scavenger hunt leading up to that first Noel, but in the centuries leading up to that night in Bethlehem, 
He scattered signposts, bits of information. Now hang on, folks, because I'm going to be splashing a lot of signposts posts on the screen behind me. You all might want to jot them down because we won't have time to read all of them. It's as if God, through his prophets, is saying, okay, kids, look at this. See for yourself. See for yourself, Abraham. All the nations of the earth will be blessed through your descendants. Abraham, yeah, I know you're really old and you're childless, but your seed, there's a promise of children, especially a child who are going to be blessed. And then there, how about this signpost? There was this pagan magician, seer, fortune teller. His king wanted him to curse the Hebrew children, God's chosen people, Abraham's descendants. But instead, the Spirit of God comes upon this pagan dude, and instead of a curse, God causes this heathen man to pronounce God's blessing with these words. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him far, far in the distant future. A star will come out of Jack Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel, Numbers 24, 17. There's that hymn, that masculine pronoun again. But now we have some additional information about God's upcoming Christmas present. Hey, Jacob, see for yourself. A ruler's coming. He's going to be part of your family tree. Interestingly, the prophecy begins with this idea that this ruler, this king, isn't going to come right away but at some distant time in the future. Speaking of kings, hey, let's not forget King David. In Isaiah 11, God promises that a branch will spring up from David's family tree. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on this branch, a son. The spirit of the Lord would rest on him. Kevin and Dustin, men, we could do an entire sermon series based on Isaiah 11. Folks, we don't have time to read that entire chapter, but I would highly encourage you, as you're planning for Christmas, go home, spend time reading Isaiah 11. In it, you're going to read about this coming man who God promises will be filled with wisdom, with understanding. He's going to give justice to the poor. The earth is going to shake with the force of his words, one breath of his from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness and truth. Yeah, more clues, more promises that God was at work preparing for mankind's very first Christmas day. The prophet Jeremiah picks up. With these words, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king, and he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. King, righteous Savior, and God speaking through Samuel to King David promises a successor, and he's going to build a house for God's name and his throne established forever. You all can read about that in Samuel 7, 12 to 13. This coming king will reign forever. 
Well, the death of David and his son Solomon are documented. So who is this promised king who's going to reign forever? Years, centuries pass by. God's hints, okay, make that promises, become more and more specific. Just wait, folks. God's timing is perfect, and Christmas is coming. And does Father God have a present for us? Approximately 700 years before that first Christmas day, there was a prophet named Micah. God's chosen people had suffered through a series of really awful kings. And now Assyria had conquered them. It was the, wasn't a time, a great time for Israel at all. In fact, it was the last time that Israel would be a sovereign state until 1947. They needed some good news bad. And folks, God's clues to his coming Christmas present get more and more specific. Micah says, you can find these exact words in Micah 5.2, and I'm going to paraphrase. Hey, people, you want to find this present? You're looking for your Christmas present? Check out Bethlehem. Look to the little town of Bethlehem, because out of you will come one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old and ancient times. So when will this king be born? Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9, verses 25 to 26, zeroes in on when this Savior would appear. It would happen before the destruction of the temple. For you history buffs, that temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. The king will be born of a virgin. Oh, my slides are not moving. Here we go. There we go. Who would bear this child? A virgin. Isaiah 7.14, a virgin conceiving and giving birth to a son would be a huge sign. Folks, you couldn't ask for a more creative sign than this or a definitive clue. As far as I can tell, there has never been a virgin birth before or since. Who's going to worship this child? Psalm 72 points towards the wise men bringing tribute baby presence, while the same chapter sees the arrival of desert tribes, shepherds, bowing before the Messiah. And if that sign weren't enough, Isaiah gives an even more exact hint. No, not a hint, a statement, a promise that this Savior was, we don't often do this in the middle of a sermon, but I'd like you all to stand and read this together. You need a break Stand and let's read this together. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Before you sit down, turn to someone and say, Christmas is coming. Now turn to somebody on the other side of you and say, God has a gift for you. You may be seated. As Father God is preparing for this first Christmas, his timing was perfect. His creativity wrapping divinity in human flesh, a bloodline 
tracing from the first Adam through Abraham's promise, through King David, through the womb of a young teenage Galilean virgin. Hey, Adam and Eve, Abraham, Jacob, patriots of old, come and see. Moses, David, Micah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, see for yourself this promised child. And even with all the prophecies, signs to look for, that first Christmas, all these promises of a coming king caught those waiting for a savior by surprise. I mean, come on, a baby born in a backwater town to a man engaged to a woman suspected of sexual impropriety? God's timing was perfect as he prepared for that first Christmas. While Rome ruled the world, they were also reaching out, expanding, building roads to the north, to Spain, to Germany, England. Roman travelers were trading with the Orient. It was the perfect time for the news of God's gift to spread. God was super creative. While the world was waiting for a conquering hero, God's gift of salvation came wrapped in swaddling clothes with a virgin mother from a hick town. And why? What was God's purpose? I don't know about you, but when I purchase a present for someone, I like to purposely select the gift. I want the gift that will have meaning. I will want the receiver to know that they are truly loved. Matthew records these words. If sinful people know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, I'm the oldest of six kids. I've held my siblings. I've held their children. I've held some of your newborns. There's nothing like cradling an infant there's nothing like feeling a baby's tiny fingers grasping hold of your index finger. I'm not a dad, but I can promise you that every time I've held one of my newborn nieces or nephews, there was a profound sense of love, a sense of, I want to protect this child. I don't want harm to come to you. That said, can any of us wrap our minds around what Mary and Joseph must have been thinking as they held that Christmas present? That baby. Yeah, Mary had had an angel's visit nine months earlier. Joseph had a pretty astounding dream, reassuring him that Mary was indeed carrying the Messiah. There they are. Two young people holding in their arms God's gift to the world. A gift that had been promised in far away, long ago, Eden. Now, artists throughout the ages have tried to capture that moment in canvas and paint. Writers have written and songwriters have tried to capture in words what that moment must have felt like, what it must have looked like. Let's face it, those recreations are highly sanitized pictures. 
There are no indication that Mary had a midwife to assist at the birth process. While an angel gave her news that she would bear a son, that angel left her. No indication that that angel returned. Joseph would have had heard the words of Isaiah and the other prophets we mentioned earlier. As a young Jewish boy, he would have grown up memorizing those things. Now standing, having just delivered the squirming newborn child, hearing the baby's cry, the same voice that spoke all things into being. We can only guess what was going through their minds. We don't know because a scripture reminds us Mary kept all these things as treasured memories. Those were precious, private moments. Well, it's true that every child holds promise. The greater truth is this. Jesus was God's promised gift to mankind. This is at least the second year in a row that I've been privileged to introduce a Christmas series to you, my Connectus family. It's an awesome task, a Christmas message. Yes, Jesus was indeed God's gift to us. And part of me wants to add, but of course, every one knows what that means. When the reality is, no, most people do not know that there is a purpose for God's gift to us. While I grew up in a Christian home, I was a young adult when I really grasped the fact that there are people in our own backyards who haven't a clue what the purpose of Christmas really is. We were not wealthy by any means, but my parents went all out at Christmas as best they could. One Christmas, our entire family was together. My youngest sister, who had been traveling with youth with a mission, was home from Hong Kong. And she decided that while my dad read the Christmas story from Luke, our nieces and nephews would form the nativity scene. So the bathrobes and towels came out, as did a doll to stand in for baby Jesus. As this was being acted, one of, the, one of my sisters was dating a young man who lived just down the street from my parents. And as the story was read, and as my nieces and nephews stood there uh, fidgeting, trying to pretend they were shepherds and angels and all that good stuff, it became apparent that this guy that was dating my sister knew nothing, I mean absolutely nothing, about the Christmas story, about the birth of Jesus. He knew nothing about shepherds, nothing about angels or wise men. I mean, this was a young man in his mid-twenties. He'd grown up within easy walking distance of my family's home. He was an American, for goodness sake, and he knew nothing about Jesus. I can assure you, gang, all around us in our central Pennsylvania communities. There are men and women, boys and girls, celebrating the holidays, and they haven't a clue as to the purpose, the reason we celebrate. That baby boy squirming and crying 
covered in bloody new birth, laying in a stone trough. Take a good look. As John's gospel reminds us, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, a babe whose purpose was to die. As Christmas, we like to remind our friends who perhaps exchange the Xmas greeting or simply happy holidays. We, we like to remind them that Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, that sounds good. It's well-meaning. It sounds nice. But when I say Jesus is the reason for the season, do I really get why he is? Let me spell it out as simply as possible. My sin, your sin, starting with Adam and Eve's sin. A few weeks ago, on Monday morning, November 27th, I was driving to work. I live in Brickerville and work in Lidditz. It was one of those mornings with a really amazing sunrise. The sky was splashed with color. And as I mentally thanked God for the beauty of his creation, because I like to pray when I'm driving. Anyhow, my mind went back to Adam and Eve. As beautiful as that sunrise was, none of us can visualize how incredible Eden was before sin entered the picture. And it hit me. Leaving Eden, that beautiful garden, was awful. But being separated from their loving father, God, their father, was holy. He was pure, sinless. And Adam and Eve's choice banished them from his presence. Folks, that's where we've been ever since. Without hope, without peace, without... Well, that's the point of this whole thing. We were without a savior until that first Christmas. When I started this morning, I told you that I was obsessed with the holidays. I told you about designing windows, interiors, and exteriors of stores, months of plan planning, great creativity among a team of artists. I told you about writing a musical or two for my church that celebrated the holidays. It was incredible working with an artist that could take my words and translate them to music. Yes, I was obsessed with and by the holiday. Planning, using my creative creativity. It was a rush, obsessed by the holiday, creating a perfect birthday celebration. I sang the carols, good grief, I wrote some. I put trees, several in every room in my house. I had personal traditions to help celebrate the season. But for many years, my celebrations were like tarnished tinsel on a tree or the paper wrapping and hiding a gift. For many years, all the glitz and glamour surrounding my celebrations were hiding sexual addictions, drug use, and alcohol, and hypocrisy. Yeah, I was obsessed with the holiday, and all too often, I was forgetting that the celebration, the birthday, 
was about Jesus, about a baby born to die for my sins. Jesus himself says that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark 10, 45 reminds us that he didn't come for the good folks. He came to call sinners like me to repentance. Luke 5, 32, as the Apostle Paul writes, God sent forth his son to redeem us, to redeem me, so that we, so that I might be adopted into his family. If Jesus can redeem me, this proud ex-rainbow flag waving man, if he can redeem me, if I can be adopted into God's family because of this Jesus and welcome back to God's family, folks, so can you. It's only possible because that baby, that first Christmas gift from the Heavenly Father, that baby was born to die for us. It all comes down to this simple truth. While the trappings of the holiday season, the bright lights, the carols, which are great, the family get-togethers, wonderful, the wonder of this season is this. God came down to earth to the, restore the relationship with his creation, restore that intimate fellowship that Adam and Eve lost in the garden. The simple truth of Christmas is one that you all know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Have you received that gift? Have you received God's gift of salvation? Have you been celebrating a season rather than a savior? I would invite you to see for yourself God's gift this morning. If you have never asked Jesus into your heart, I would love to pray with you this morning. Kevin would love to pray with you. Dustin would love to pray with you. If you're a believer and have found yourself drifting from your relationship with your Father in heaven, we'd all love to pray with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love to us. Thank you that... You have sent your son. Thank you that you have given us the opportunity of experiencing your grace in our lives. Father, I pray that this morning as we close out this service that you would continue to work in our hearts. And I pray that if anyone is here that does not know you as their savior, that you'd speak to them this morning so that we could all together really celebrate what Christmas is all about. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for providing salvation. And I pray this in Jesus.